We're continuing our theories on the women of the Bible. And we're actually going to go back to the previous story, to the one last week. Um, 2 Kings chapter 4. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather, just a few. And when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured it out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt. And you and your sons live on the rest. This is another unnamed woman of the Bible. We don't know much about her. We don't know her name. All we really know is that she was the wife of a prophet. And at this time, Elisha ran a school for prophets. They would be gathered together in one place, in one area. If you just flip over to 2 Kings 6 and 1, it tells us, And the sons of the prophet said to Elijah, see now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make a place where we may dwell. So it seems that these prophets lived in some kind of commune together in a single house. They were like an early form of the the monks, very monastic in their community. But it would also appear that if they were married, they lived outside of the community. And this was the situation with this woman that this prophet that she was married to, they, they lived together in their home, had two children, but they, weren't, they were near the community but not living in it. Um, such prophets, these prophets, were not allowed to earn money from their ministry. They were to prophesy but not for gain. So they lived off the goodwill of those in the community. They were only given um, out of people's generosity. And it appears that this particular prophet to which this woman... Oh, have I gone too far? Can I go back one? Thank you. (laughs) That this particular woman was married to um, had been living beyond his means and had left a widow with children and debts. And in this situation, there was no social services. There was no... um, uh, form of income that came from any government or any central organization. If you had no money, you starved. If you had no family, you starved. She was in a dire situation. She had two sons, and she was faced with the anguish of seeing them taken as slaves in payment for the debts facing her. And that's about as much as we know about her. So in this story, this woman is left destitute. And she's confronted by the situation that's advocated in Deuteronomy 15. Essentially, if someone fell into debt, they would have to give themselves or one of their sons, or two of their sons in this case, to work for a creditor. 
for a maximum of six years to pay off the debt. And this individual would become a slave of the creditor for that period. They would earn no income for themselves. And they would live in the creditor's house. And in this case, the debt is such that the creditor is going to have both of her sons as slaves. And this has a number of implications. Firstly, she will be without her sons, obviously. But in being without her sons, she will also be without any further provision, since it's only through her sons that that can come. So she's not only confronting losing her sons as slaves, but also losing her source of income altogether. And so she's staring not just at poverty, but potentially destitution and death. She is in the absolute worst and most dire situation. And so she turns to the one man who she believes can help her, Elisha. And there's no obligation for Elisha to act on her behalf. He's a prophet of God, appointed to speak forth God's message for the people of Israel. But what's interesting, he doesn't limit himself to that appointment or to this officer speaking. His heart is moved. He acts with compassion. Even though it's not his role to sort out the problems of other people in this way because of the role that God has given him, he allows his compassion to move him and to act in a way that will bring relief and release from her debts. You see, in the kingdom of God, there is no... Thank you. There is no room for limiting our role. No task should be beneath us. Because that reflects the heart of God. And no task that reflects the heart of God should be ignored by us. Our responsibility under the prompting of the Spirit is to be Jesus in every circumstance. It's to look with his eyes. It's to reach out with his hands. And it's to act with his heart. We are the means through which God demonstrates his love in the world. And like Elijah, I just want to encourage us all. Let compassion move us to break beyond the limits that we set for ourselves about what we can and can't or should and shouldn't do. All around us, all of the time, are people living lives of quiet desperation. Yet too often we're caught up in our own issues and our own concerns to notice the brother on this side or the sister over here that has needs. Perhaps our British reserve keeps us from asking the question. We're trained, aren't we, to answer the question, how are you? With, Fine, thanks. Yeah, all right. When I was in Essex, the, the standard greeting was, all right, all right. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm all right. But you're not actually communicating anything with all right. All you're saying is, yeah, don't ask me anymore. It's fine. We're, not, we're trained not to really connect with people, just to keep that distance. And yet, in the kingdom of God, it's by that connection, that heart response, that love, that compassion, that we demonstrate the love of God. And Elisha does exactly that. He begins, I think I'm going to have to rely on you here, Peter. He begins by asking what she has in the house to solve the issue herself. She responds by telling him that she has a jar of oil. And this becomes the basis of her miracle. You see, when we cry out to God, the first thing he says to us is, what do you have? 
What can you do? What are you able to do to take responsibility for your situation? What resources do we have of our own do we have that can be used by God to perform a miracle, either for ourselves or for others around us? Do we have resources that we're holding back that could be used to bless others? Hear for a moment what James says in James 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give him the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? In other words, James saying, if I'm sitting here with resources and somebody's there with need and I just say, yeah, go on, get your needs sorted, then I'm not fulfilling the law of love. Faith and compassion need to result in action. The proof of our faith is our willingness to act, particularly to help others. You might just be someone else's miracle. I want to reiterate the story I've told before from George Muller. Can we have him up there? (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) This This is how it reads. The children are dressed and ready for school. But there's no food for them to eat. Of course, George Muller, if you don't know, ran children's homes um, down in the Bristol area. The house mother of the orphanage informed George Muller. George asked her to take the 300 children into into the dining room and have them sit at the tables. He thanked God for the food and waited. George knew that God would provide food for the children as he always did. So the children there, 300 children, sitting at the table. George Muller's given thanks for the food that they haven't got, and they're waiting. Within minutes, a baker knocked on the door. Mr. Muller, he said, last night I could not sleep. Somehow I knew that you would be in need of bread this morning, so I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk would spoil by the time the wheel was fixed. He asked George if he could use some free milk. George smiled as the milkman brought in ten large cans of milk. It was enough for the 300 thirsty children. In order for the miraculous answer to prayer here, there needed to be people willing to give of their resources. God doesn't work in a vacuum. He chooses to work with and through us. And we can be part of his miracle in someone else's life, or even in our own. Notice also that the Lord had already answered George's prayer before he'd even prayed it. He'd already woken up the baker. He'd already prepared for the cart horse, or the cart, to to, to lose its wheel. But George had to pray. And when George prayed, it released the response. The prayer answer came. And it was this that brought the miracle. So the widow widow gathered all the vessels that she could find from her neighbors and from her own kitchen. She went into her house, and there she sat, and she began to pour the oil into the vessels. Imagine her surprise when the jar just kept 
kept on pouring until all the vessels she had were filled to the brim. The scene is out of is something out of Disney's version of Sorcerer's Apprentice, isn't it? Where he's trying to wash the floor and all the water keeps on coming. Only this is real. What it what did it take for her to receive her miracle? Obedience. If we want to be in the place of blessing in God, we have to walk in obedience to him. It's a divine principle of scripture that obedience leads to inheritance and disobedience leads to disinheritance. When we live in obedience, we live in fellowship with our father. And out of that relationship flows all the blessing that he already has reserved for us in heaven. See, she could have turned away when when when. Elisha said to her, what have you got? I've got a little tube of oil. Well, go and get all the vessels. Well, that's not going to help, is it? How am I going to solve my debt problems with a load of vessels and a little tube of oil? How can that help me? Don't be ridiculous. But instead, she acted in simple, faithful obedience. And she received the provision of God for her. And God's promise is of provision for all of us. Philippians 4, 10 to 20 lays out for us God's, that promise of provision. And it concludes with this verse. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. See, God doesn't promise us prosperity, but he does promise us provision. We can stand in faith on that promise. However, we must also be willing to be the means of provision to one another. And Paul commends the Philippians in that passage there for being willing to support him materially in his ministry. He says, because you've supported me, my God will supply all your needs. When I'm in India, I often hear the prosperity gospel preached, which consists of telling people that God wants them to prosper and to just trust in faith for their miracle. And whilst God can do that, his promise is of provision, not prosperity. He is not a slot machine where we put in our prayer and out comes a miracle. He responds in compassion to the needs of his children. And we can trust in his provision as we walk in obedience. He doesn't provide to make us rich or to give us loads of material goods. But he does promise to provide our daily bread. Enough for our needs and enough to bless others. And so the woman took the oil that had been miraculously provided and in accordance with Elisha's instructions, she, she sold it to pay off her debts. And she was able to live off the profits. God gave the miracle, but she had to respond practically to receive it. So you and I have oil in abundance. You have the oil right now. If you've come to faith, you have the oil of the Holy Spirit on you and within you. And at the moment, for many of us, we keep the oil in a jar and we live in spiritual poverty. We might bring the jar out on Sundays, but generally the oil is kept hidden through the week. But God has not given us this deposit of the Holy Spirit to be kept hidden away, but to be poured out into the vessels of those who are around us. In the narrative, the widow poured her oil into her neighbor's vessels. And in the same way, we need to be pouring our oil into the lives of those around us. God has made provision. And as we pour it out, we'll not run dry, 
Oh, well. My first point is, the oil will not run dry. The oil from the widow's jar eventually stopped flowing when she ran out of vessels to fill from it. But our oil will never run dry. He, the Holy Spirit has been given continue, as a continually flowing fountain. The only thing that can stop the flow is our behavior or our lifestyles. But once we unblock it, it doesn't cease. It's always there. How is the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life today? Has it run a little dry? Has it become blocked? Today is the day to tap into that resource and let it flow once more. Let God fill you afresh with his oil that you might pour it out. Secondly, the oil is given as a blessing. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit has been sent to bring us into the fullness of all that Jesus is. He's given, us to, he's given to us to comfort us to lead us, to guide us, to reveal Jesus to us, to equip us, to empower us, and to glorify God through us. That's all available through what the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit that is poured into our lives. We need to let that Holy, the Holy Spirit flow if we're to complete all that God has for us to do and if we're to become more like Jesus. I encourage you, make room for the oil of the Holy Spirit today. Let him flow through you to others. And the third point. The oil is the deposit for our future hope. Ephesians 1, 13, 14 says the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. Because the Holy Spirit is in you and with you, you can rest assured in the promise of God's future for you. And especially of the resurrection. That is yours one day when Jesus returns. We are guaranteed the full redemption of our bodies in the future. But eternal life begins now. As we open ourselves up to the work of the spirit within us. He's also the guarantee that that work will be completed at the return of Jesus. So we can live now in the sense of purpose in God. As we know our future destiny is secure in him. So, we can come to that last one now. There, the widow's oil. So, I just want to encourage you this week. Let the Holy Spirit's oil flow through you as you experience God's provision in all things. Let him lead you to be the answer to someone else's prayer. Because you can be that person's miracle. And if you require prayer for the oil to flow once more, I encourage you to see the prayer team after we finish. Bless you.